and welcome to the Midwest Football Podcast, episode 36. December football, especially in the NFL, is where the rubber meets the road. We find out truths, we separate pretenders from contenders, and we have some of the biggest home field advantages in the NFL right here in the Midwest. Whether it's from brutal weather or noise-amplifying domes, the heart of it all is still the Midwest. The Bears, Bengals, Browns, Colts, Lions, Packers, Steelers, and Vikings. I'm Joe Smith, recording Monday night in Detroit, where it's been snowing sideways since lunchtime. That's not a joke. It's seriously getting nasty out there. So if you're in the Midwest, we know you can drive in it, but don't be a four-wheel drive idiot. Stay safe out there. My co-host, however, has never been one to play it safe. Say hello to Chicago's own Brian Rosenquist. Hello, Midwestlanders and friends. Um, it's getting pretty cold down here in Florida. I had to put on a uh, long sleeve shirt to go with my uh, shorts today. It's pretty rough. And um, I'd like to t- take this time to congratulate uh, the Cowboys on their 31 to 10 uh, loss to clinch a playoff berth for them. So good job fouling upwards, Cowboys. They did a great job treating that game like it was the divisional round of the playoffs. <laughs> Someone told Zach, time to choke. If you like the show, please help our podcast grow by giving us a five-star review, commenting, recommending our show to your friends. We love it when you interact with us. So contact us by our email, midwestfootballpodcast at gmail.com to tell us what you like so we get more of that stuff and less of other stuff. In this week's episode, we'll of course bring you all the week 15 reactions you come for. But first, we bid adieu to the smoldering remains of what used to be the career of Brandon Staley. Taking this time to uh, for a moment of silence for the most predictable firing I've seen all year after um, losing 63-21 to 21 against the um, Las Vegas Raiders. Um, it, it was a 42 to nothing halftime score. I'm actually impressed that Brandon Staley survived uh, to make it home on the plane. And was not fired at halftime. In fact, remember, he was it, one of my front runners for first coach fired. Now, ironically, getting annihilated by the team who was the first team to fire their coach was kind of funny that it made sense that they'd had to get rid of him. And I believe this is the third overall in the uh, house cleaning season. The Raiders kicked it off, followed by the last place Panthers, followed by, uh, I think, uh, this, the, the Los Angeles Chargers. Yeah, I'm going to kind of take a victory lap on this one because as I was editing last week's episode, after all this stuff had hit the fan and we knew that Staley was gone, Mm -hmm. then, you know, it was kind of funny because we were sitting there talking about how a loss to the Raiders, which we thought was on the table, might be the the shove that Staley needed to finally get out the door. I was not anticipating that they'd take the GM with him. Mm. Well, I'm not surprised by this because if they left the GM sick around, he would have had the opportunity to hire a fourth head coach, which is pretty insane because you either have to be a GM for 20 years and have lots of success, or you're going through coaches that you hired because you're tiring bad uh, hires. In which case, usually you don't get more than two coaches. So it's the GM who makes the coaching call, and they should go out with the coach, in my opinion, in gen- in most cases. Uh, fair enough. It never seems like they had problems with talent in San Diego. Well, the Chargers, no, regardless of where the team ended up being, whether it's San Diego or L.A. or as they've been the last two years in the hindsight of a donkey. Mm-hmm. But re- either way, you're right one of the biggest decisions that a GM can make is hiring a head coach. And you usually don't get more than one bad one Mm -hmm. unless you've got a long track record of success in between. Yeah. And you bring up a good points because as we dive into this autopsy, that's one of the reasons why Staley got fired is that the perception at least is that the chargers have a lot of talent starting with their young quarterback. Justin Herbert is every nerd uh, nerd statisticians uh, greatest dream. Um, but yet he can't seem to win a lot of games. And that's because the team has one of the top three salaries uh, tied into the defense with um, former Bear Khalil Mack, who's leading the NFL in sacks, uh, Joey Bosa, former Buckeye, um, Derwin James at safety. And even they they had uh, Jalen Johnson, high paid cornerback last year, who was not good under them. They wave him. He goes back to Pitt. Pit, uh, 
he goes back to uh, the Patriots and plays well again. Well, yeah, I. but that's the thing. I was kind of sitting here thinking as, as you brought that up. I'm kind of wondering if they've got all these stars. Are they just a total stars and scrubs team where teams are picking on them all the way through? I mean, that's maybe that's part of the problem is not only do we have a, a constant stream of misfired coaches, but we're just throwing money at star players rather than a, having a coherent build strategy. That might be true because I, I I really would love to dive into this more because when you have two of the best pass rushers in the league and you still have a bottom three passing defense, you have to have – are you playing with 10, 10 players on defense? Because how do you give up so much? Your, your cornerbacks don't have to cover very long with that kind of pressure, you know? So, you I mean, would think, yeah. It's, I, I think a lot of it is schematically, um, and that's why uh, Brandon Staley's gone because he doesn't seem to be getting much out of the uh, defensive talent, and he is a defensive mastermind, former defensive coordinator for the Los Angeles Rams, who I believe actually won the Super Bowl the year after he left. Uh, so maybe he's Maybe that says something. Exactly. It feels like another uh, Matt Patricia – 2.0 action here who was the defensive coordinator that made Nick Foles look good in the Super Bowl for the Patriots and then he let he was uh he got hired to coach Detroit sorry Joe um not as sorry as the Fords exactly and uh the next year Brian Flores took over and they held the Rams to three points in the Super Bowl on their way to the victory and uh as we talk right now we are recording some Monday night and Matt Patricia is calling the defense for the Eagles for some reason because apparently the Eagles didn't learn their lesson when they won a Super Bowl because he was the opposing defensive coordinator I mean you as much as we don't like him in Detroit for obvious reasons he is qualified to be a defensive coordinator but and if there is a team that can get away with one-on-one coverage as much as Patricia likes to play it it's probably Philadelphia because of their pass rush that being said they've had problems with covering on the back end all year long and maybe Patricia's intimate involvement is some of the reason why but we're getting away from our original topic and that is with all of the stars and especially the young quarterback I have to believe that the Chargers position is going to be a prime one not just for Ben Johnson the offensive coordinator for the Lions that's been linked to this position but for Anybody. There are probably coaches and GMs in current positions that would prefer to be on the Chargers. Sorry, I'm still vomiting from you saying that Matt Patricia is a qualified, competent defensive mastermind. But, I said he was uh, qualified, didn't say he was competent. That's fair. Um, the Yeah, it is a hot vacancy. I mean, first of all, they have a long leash with coaches in general. And it's in Los Angeles. People want to go to Southern Cal. Uh, you have a good quarterback in Matt Patricia. And you got uh, talent on defense. And generally, the quarterback is the main thing. Like I, we talked about this last week, Belichick might be linked there. And I think Ben Johnson would be good to link himself to uh, Justin Herbert because he possibly could do better than a better version of the offense that he runs in Detroit with uh, featuring Jared Gall. Yeah, I, 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 I definitely see Justin Herbert as a superior version of Jared Goff. Same type of quarterback. Yeah, if, if I was a coordinator or aspiring head coach, I would rather take the Chargers head coaching job than the Raiders or the Panthers right now. Oh, yeah, the Panthers. Even if you take the ownership out of it, the quick hook that the Panthers have, they are in such a hole that they're not going to win for a minimum of probably two years. And and you have to believe in Bryce Young, and I haven't seen anything out of him at a professional level, whereas Herbert's had this track success. Um, the Raiders are no man's land for quarterback, which could be okay. Maybe they'll get one in the offseason, or maybe Aiden O'Connor will show up the next few weeks. Um, but shall we get on to the reactions? Absolutely. We're going to kind of take a little bit different format with our reactions. And rather than get into the nitty gritty of what happened in each particular game, we're going to kind of take the a, a broader brush approach. We're still going to analyze how we got there, but we're going to guide our discussions with a particular topic. And we're going to start with the first Saturday game because the Midwest was all over Saturday football last week. The Vikings at the Bengals and the Bengals escaped 
the Vikings in overtime with a field goal. We could debate whether the Bengals should have even won this game, but they did. And the question for Cincinnati is, can Jake Browning keep it going? So he's been very good in relief of Joe Burrow this year. Um, you know, and I mean, he threw three, 300 yards in that game. A lot of it was from behind. And um, they were actually trailing by 20, uh, 14 points going into the fourth quarter. And they literally scored 21 of their 27 points in that fourth quarter, including the highlight uh, catch by T Higgins, where it's picked off 80% of the time it's thrown. But uh I I don't know. Um, it's he's had a good run, but we saw Josh Dobbs have a similar three game run, and now he's you know third stringer against the Vikings team that they beat. And, More on that later. Yeah, and uh, I mean it's a good start. I just need to see more. I, I've seen enough of these guys flame out after a couple good games that I, I no longer get excited for them. Like we saw Tommy DeVito turn back into a pumpkin for the Giants this weekend too. And, I have a theory uh, maybe, about that. Maybe I'm just becoming jaded. But what's your take on the Jake, Jake, Jake Browning? Yeah, I think it's an oversimplification to put a young quarterback, surround him with weapons, and – turn around and say he is the next coming. I don't, you know, maybe I think he's got Minshew upside or a little bit more agree with that. That's cool. on a better, uh, on a better team, but he, Jake Browning has, he has limitations. That's why he was the backup and Joe Burrow was the starter. Mm. So let's not kid ourselves. They're winning right now. Because there's an unbelievably large number of very bad teams. The Vikings gave them a run, but are the Vikings even a playoff team? That's a legitimate question. So, we, we know the Bengals probably will be their quarterback situation aside, so it definitely helps that they're getting somebody that can at least move the ball, that can run an offense. That's saying something. Well, you're talking about, you know, the Vikings um, transitioning over them. They had a big lead. They blew it. And uh, they're still sitting on the wild card two spot, despite their 7-7 seven seven record. They're in the right conference for this. And uh, last year, there was a lot of talk that they were an undeserving team, too. But they played the other undeserving team in the Giants. So they, there's a good chance. But they have to play um, the uh, the Lions twice. So they do they they come as close to controlling their own destiny as they can because they still need the Lions to lose to uh, Dallas in order to win the division in between. And obviously, that's right. To, for, to sum up, the Vikings need to win out and the Lions need to lose out, but they play each other twice in exactly. the remaining three games. And the Lions play uh, Dallas, which is very good in between the 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 Vikings play Green Bay, which is reeling. We'll get to them later. And um, the Vikings put on a good show for three quarters where Nick Mullins came, you know, played pretty well. He, he put up 300 yards and he is the fourth quarterback to take snaps for the Vikings or start a game after Cousins. Uh, Jaron Hall started a game that started Dobbs Sanity and now Dobbs Sanity was benched for uh, Mullins. Um, they they put up numbers. I mean, Jordan Addison had a good game. Ty Chandler had a breakout game. Even uh, Justin Jefferson looked pretty solid in his return. But the defense has been the story, but it seems like the defense just fell completely apart in the fourth quarter. And you're starting to see very similar trends with them in Chicago right now. And I'll, I'll cover that more when we get to uh, the bears Browns, but they both had the same game script where both the Vikings and the bears were up pretty handily on this. You know, the defense is playing well and the defenses just fell apart. They got gassed. I don't know, but they end up both full, snatching a defeat from the jaws of victory. Crushing for both teams, but especially for a Minnesota team that was still trying to win the division. They lost their margin for error, for sure. I mean, the question is just how bad was the loss? Is the ride basically over? I mean, mm-hmm. what are the what are the odds at this point that they win the division or even make the playoffs? Winning the division is tough because they do have to win out and Detroit has to lose out. Now, they can win two of those games, but those are also tough games because they're playing Detroit. 
Now, the wild card's a lot more realistic. Cowboys are locked in at the, the fourth seed at 10 and four. They're three games ahead of Minnesota. But Minnesota is currently the wild, wild card too, but they're in a three-way tie with the Rams and the Saints. And Seattle is a half game back. And then we have a couple more uh, six-win teams, including the Packers that play them. So I think it is a very realistic chance if they beat the Packers in the middle that they could sneak into uh, an eight and nine play wild card potentially. Well, that could be, yeah. Um, and the Lions might not have anything to play for in Week 18, too. So that may- maybe they can sneak out the la- a couple of wins there and go to possible. The- but I don't think the Lions would be in any hurry to play the Vikings three times in a month. Mm-hmm. And if the Vikings make the playoffs, there's a very good chance that their first round game is Detroit mm-hmm. again. Yeah, it's not that big a deal if they don't really play the second game, though, if it's all bench formers. But I don't know. We'll see because you got to win the games regardless. But um, so we move on to the, our another one of our three twofers. Uh, the late game on Saturday was the Steelers at the Colts. Um is it time to panic and retroactively uh, rewrite the entire Mike Tomlin era because they are now down to 500? I'll take option number one. <laughs> um, yeah, This is a team that's acting like it's coming unglued. First of all, at this point, I am not sure why Mitch Trubisky still gets money to play football. Shrug of shoulders from my uh, broadcast partner here. He did announce today that... Uh... Mason uh, Rudolph the Mason Rudolph the crush face reindeer is getting the week uh, sixteen start for that whatever that's worth. But right, as we wait for Trubisky to heal but, or not Trubisky, uh, Pickett. But they've. I mean, I think Trubisky is really helping uh, make the case that Kenny Pickett is actually the true MVP of the league, and Matt Canada might be the coach of the year after getting fired for blaming that poor offense on both of those guys. And their offenses dropped from 16 points a game to 14 points a game without those two. And uh, I think it is a little bit time to panic because there's more to just those guys because not a week goes by where some diva doesn't flip out on you know the sidelines. And we're starting to see evidence that Steelers are quitting in middle of plays. Uh, George Pickens was famous this weekend for that. He he just gave up on a play mid play, and and then we're also seeing stuff like the memes were like Najee Harris has his wide open hole, and instead of running into the hole, he runs into the defensive tackle, and it just like he doesn't even know how to run the ball straight in a straight line anymore. And like it's weird because this was a team that was seven and four. And was almost a shooting for the playoffs three weeks ago before losing to two of the last three, two of the three worst teams, and then doubling down by losing to the Colts this weekend. That, that directly affects tiebreakers for the wild cards. Yeah, this was a brutal loss for the Steelers, not just because of the fact that it was to the Colts, but also the way in which it happened. Because the Colts came out, they threw a pick six, they were down, the Steelers were up like. 14 to nothing in you know the early second quarter I think or late first and it's like okay Trubisky just give us one offensive touchdown at any point going forward in this game the remaining three quarters and Trubisky was like nah nope 30 points straight for the Colts and it's of suddenly it's a blowout yeah, it is panic time for this team. I mean, Trubisky. because we've got some major team construction issues. We've got some major gut check time mm-hmm. that we're seeing players fail, and that's and that's practically antithetical to the Steelers. I mean, let's remember the year where they were starting Rudolph and Duck Hodges at quarterback. The team was still playing hard, and that's not what I see anymore. And down the stretch, to in order to keep Mike Tomlin's winning streak record, they have to win two of the last three games. They play Cincinnati, who's, you know, looking good with Jake Browning. And then they go on the road to Seattle, which is one of the two hardest stadiums to play on the road in. And then they finish on the road against Baltimore, which is the other of the two really hard teams to play, especially, you know, in uh, January. Uh, outdoors well they're both outdoor games not inconceivable that they lose out uh, yeah which would 
end the season on a six game losing streak, losing six, seven of eight, if they, if that happens. So that's a bad look for the Steelers looking to uh, build on last year's uh, young core that was starting to show flashes. It'd be a little a reversal of last year's season where they started slow and finished strong. If you're the owner of the Steelers and they lose out to end the year in this fashion, do you think heads have to roll? Oh, I, I think Tomlin needs to figure out his offensive and defense or the offensive coaching staff. Um, and I think they need to do better job of addressing the offensive line, which I still think most people in Steelers nation would be pissed about. And I don't know why they're not. Sounds like you're pretty much in lockstep with Terry Bradshaw. That's a pretty good place to be. Really? <laughs> okay. I, yeah. That, that's where he went. If you missed it, he went off on uh, the Sunday pregame show basically saying, look, the Steelers have, need to do a much better job with the offensive line. Mm-hmm. Pickett, he went so far as to say Pickett is the answer. Mm-hmm. I don't, not sold on Pickett, but he's fine. Yeah, if, if guess, you gave him a, if you gave him protection, he'd I probably be even better. Exactly. I think it's too early to give up on Pickett. And, and given Tomlin's history, to get rid of him after one half of a bad season – that's that's way too overreactionary to me. I think he's earned a bigger uh, runway to see if he can correct this. Yeah, I I totally agree. But once we now that we've done sort of the autopsy on that, how can the Colts to turn this to the Colts capitalize on their momentum and win the AFC South? So I'm just gonna say real quick, they are in a three way tie at eight and six with the uh, Jaguars and the Texans. Um, they play the Falcons and the Raiders, which are two solid but winnable games, which could very easily set up a division championship game the last week of the season versus the Houston Texans. And that could be very exciting, in my opinion. Especially if you get Stroud back for that game. That would be must-see TV. Yeah, the the roadmap for them is their defensive line needs to continue dominating the way they dominated the Steelers front in this game. And I think they are the underdogs. I have not been impressed by Jacksonville. Uh, Trevor Lawrence seems to be turning back into a pumpkin, which is shocking because, you know, obviously we give him a free pass for that season with Urban Meyer as a rookie, but he's looking more and more like that guy this year. And um, which I think kind of is funny that the teams drafting number two and four overall are possibly going. I, w- I would think those two have the best chance to win the division at this point. Because uh, I've not been impressed by Jacksonville the last month. I think there's a lot of team construction issues that are starting to bite Jacksonville. Because you look at that team, they don't have a plus offensive line. They're not awful, but they're not a plus offensive line. It's gotten- they don't have a they don't have a a true game breaker at wide receiver. They've got a spread it around kind of core mm-hmm. with a little bit of this and a little bit of that. The defense was reliant for a long time on turnovers, but that's never sustainable. Well, also, it's more sustainable if you get pass rushers, but or pressure, but like they have Josh, the other Josh Allen, and then um, Trayvon Walker, they whiffed at 101 instead of hit Hutchinson. And I think that they won last year's division in spite of some bad draft whiffs in uh, first round. Um, and I think and that's what you're getting at. Their cross-section is coming apart. Now, they do have an easy schedule. They're playing Tampa, Carolina, and Tennessee to finish the season, but I'm just not sold on them winning all those games. <laughs> you know, or winning If they don't of- beat Carolina, that's a major problem. Yeah. But Tampa can beat you if you let them. Yep, I agree. Tampa's a pretty scary team, and we've seen Tennessee rip off a win against Miami two weeks ago, so... They're dangerous. They're playing for their jobs, but it should they should win out. But I don't know. I, I think that um, just pull up the Texans schedule real quick. They got Cleveland, Tennessee, Indianapolis. It's I think it's going to come down to Week 18. Yeah, the the AFC South is a really exciting division that may not have an elite team, but it's got three teams that can make some noise in that sort of second, third tier. Yeah, in the AFC. I do think the Colts or Texans are going to have to go 3-0 to win the division because the Jags have the tiebreaker. And they're probably going to win at least two of those three, despite... Probably. So, um, 
On to our last of our Saturday games. We're still on that. The Broncos at the Lions. The Lions annihilated the Broncos after, you know, some iffy play the last month. Uh, what's your take on that? Can uh, are, are, Which Lions are the real Lions? The ones we saw against Denver or the ones we saw against Chicago? They both are, but I'm putting Frank Rag now for team and possibly league MVP because this is a completely different unit when he is in the game. Mm-hmm. when he's not, and he's been hurt off and on all year, they have to kick their starting right guard or left guard over to center, and it effectively creates two vacancies because the guy is a backup-level center, and you are you know crossing your fingers at the guard spot. I always hate it. And the, which is still better than crossing your fingers at the center position. Yeah, I, I always hate it when a guy gets injured and they don't just plug in the backup. They slide one of the other guys over and then they've shaken up two positions on the line because one of the con- most important things about offensive line play is the continuity. So if you can keep four guys, you know, instead of three guys at their same position, it's usually preferred. But I mean, Ragnar is also a top three at his position. And um, when, I don't know who you would put ahead of him when that line is intact. I mean, it's vicious. I mean, especially when you airdrop Jameer Gibbs behind that, they're just they're, they're no longer trying to use him as an offensive weapon. They're using him as a running back. And he's, you know, averaged nine point one yards per carry that game. And even David Montgomery averaged five point oh yards per game. Uh and it's a weird moment where I don't think anybody's crying to bench Montgomery for Gibbs. They they seem to be pulling off the one-two punch very well synergistically um, in a way that I think uh, makes them both better. I think Gibbs can be more explosive because Montgomery's in there, but Montgomery's not like Ezekiel Elliott last year where he just looked washed up or Najee Harris or A.J. Dillon, in my opinion. He's he's a very good running back and uh, in his own right. And the fact that Gibbs is doing better is not a knock on Montgomery, in my opinion. They're both top three at their position, I think, in broken tackles. Yeah. You, I might have made that up. You run that behind that offensive line, and you're going to have easy day. because. But that's the thing. You mentioned about continuity. This off, starting offensive line has only been together, all five of them, in five games this year. The fifth was Denver. Mm. And in those five games, the Lions are the number one offense in the NFL. And it helps their defense when they get a giant lead early on and they don't have to. uh, It's a little hard to expose them. You know who else it helps? Jared Goff. Mm -hmm. Because he started a little bit shaky and then he saw that there was going to be absolutely no pressure. The stupid gene that he has that clicks on when he feels any pressure whatsoever, physical or mental, deactivated, and he absolutely shredded the ball, the Broncos. Mm-hmm. I mean, deep yes. throws, intermediate throws, short throws. Completed seventy percent of his passes and five touchdowns. Um, Saint Brown continued to be our one and only true sun god with one hundred and twelve yards and a touchdown. And Laporta had three touchdowns of his own on fifty six uh, yards on five touches. He's so, up to he's up over seven hundred and fifty yards and nine touchdowns as a rookie, and that's not supposed to happen because he's also blocking. By the way, he's not one of those guys that they're using exclusively as a jumbo size slot receiver. Mm-hmm. Exactly. He's an actual tight end, not just a fake writer, not just a fake or uh, not just a big slot receiver like most of these guys are. So um, on to our Sunday game. We have two of them. Um, our first one is our last of three two for ones where the Bears played the Browns, um, where they snatched uh, they're up 17 to seven going into the fourth quarter and uh, managed to lose the game in regulation uh, 20 to 17. Uh, this was a most uh, fieldsy fields game of all time where you can see the highlight reels of him hitting receivers deep down the field like Robert Tunyon or Darnell Mooney on the game-winning uh, losing uh, Hal Mary or even uh, Tyler Scott to start that drive where he dropped like a 30-yarder. But then the field's haters uh, point out like fourth and one, he got tripped up on a good defensive play and and, and fell short. And uh his overall stats were pretty underwhelming. Um, and 
the problem is when you have a guy like this who's a Rorschach test where the the haters can point to the bad stuff and they love and the the guys who love him point to the good stuff it's still murky and when you're going to be drafting the number 1 overall pick with the Panthers team most likely how much do you want to tank or not because right now the bears are sitting on the fifth overall pick with their own draft pick but a win or two could bump them up i mean they could lose 8 to 10 spots and they have a pretty soft schedule easily so what's your take on the bears moving forward do you think they should tank or not to tank boy that's really tough um if they didn't have carolina's pick i'd say tank for sure but this is a team that learning how to win may be more valuable to them actually than the difference between say the sixth and the 12th draft spot. Especially if they are going to get a haul at number one, which is very likely that they will. If they don't, depending upon who comes out, of course. So the bears haven't had a winning record since 2018. I don't, I, I think at this point, if they tank and we're resetting the timeline. So if they're tanking, they're getting a new quarterback, they're getting a new coach, possibly a new GM, which then also defeats the point of the GM tearing down the team a year ago to rebuild from scratch. And I just think winning is more valuable. Teams don't have a – players have a short career. This isn't the NBA where you can get a generational talent like LeBron James or Michael Jordan or um, David Robinson and have them for 15 years to build around uh, teams turn around fast. And the bears are showing that they have a good roster the last month, two months and the Cleveland game, the first Detroit game, and even at the Denver game earlier, they were all winning because they were very, they looked like the better team 70, 80% of the game. And then they lost it because they are just not a, a young team. That's not used to winning. And, Learning how to win is going to be more valuable to next year than um, a higher second pick of the first round. Well, first of all, I'm working under the assumption here that a tank would come with the explicit permission from the ownership that this is not a complete teardown. This is we are supplementing with two top stars. So let me ask it this way. What positions do the Bears really need to get better at that you would have to be in the top 10 in order to get a star? Well, um, uh, that, well, I, I think that um, the Bears could use a secondary pass rusher alongside of Montez Sweat and I think another pass catcher because quietly, as good as DJ Moore has been, Darnell Mooney has been terrible this year and actually quietly bad the last two years. We're still remembering him as a rookie. Um, Komet's okay, but nobody else has really stepped up. So I think uh, Marvin Harrison would be good compliment to DJ Moore. And then another pass rusher, I think, would go the longest way because I think the Bears' defense tired out uh, in, the, in the fourth quarter because they don't have enough defensive pass rushing depth um, to keep going as the game goes on. Um, and then I think the third one would just be any sort of the offensive line position. But I think the Bears need interior offense, which you don't need a top pick. So I think that if you are to tank for two top picks, it would be a receiver and a defensive end. And I think that in a quarter draft class like this, you're going to see heavy on quarterbacks, especially with how bad the quarterbacks have been this year. So I oh, think yeah. you could get a top flight. You might get the top, the best play, player in the draft at fourth or fifth overall. And even if you're like 10th, you could possibly still get an elite blue chipper because there might be four, three or three to five quarterbacks going in the top 10 this year. I might be a little hyperbolic about that, but it is a really good draft class at quarterback. And last couple of years were pretty bad. Yeah. So the appetites built up. Yeah. I think it's but a- let's sw- shifting over to the Brown side though. I think that, especially if you look at who the Browns have beaten and when you could make a case for the Browns as Super Bowl contenders, despite the fact that they barely escaped the Bears. Somehow, the Bear, the Browns, remember, are the only team that has beaten both Baltimore and San Francisco. They've also beaten division-leading Jacksonville. Right. They still have a lot of games, teams that have winning records, is what I'm saying. And... um. 
Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thought. Um, I don't know if I'd go as far to say contender, Super Bowl contenders. I just don't think Flacco's that good. I mean, he's a good spot starter, and if they had an elite quarterback coming back from injury, I think that he could keep the seat warm for them. But I just don't think that it's going to happen uh, as Super Bowl contenders. And to be honest, uh, a posit, um, a hypothetical to you is, how good would the Browns be if they just kept Baker Mayfield and all the uh, money and draft capital they use on Deshaun Watson and just spent that to bolster the rest of the roster from what we're seeing Baker Mayfield do in Tampa? Do you think that would make them contenders? I think that would. I I just don't know that you can win with Baker Mayfield throwing as many YOLO balls as he does, no matter what's around him. Mm-hmm. But uh, I do see your point, though, that they would probably be better overall for when Baker Mayfield hangs on to the ball too long, gets himself cut in half and they put in the backup, they might be in a little bit better spot than they are now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we knew that the AFC North was going to be a dog fight all the way through. We just didn't think it would all be the backup quarterbacks doing the fighting except for Lamar Jackson, which is the one that everybody thought would get killed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. They, uh, I think we're uh, getting rid of that myth that uh, scrambling quarterbacks get hit, hurt more because we're seeing a lot of pocket passers like Cousins and uh, Watson-ish ish, um, and Burrow going down amongst others. But um, so I, do you I actually the... like the Browns above all the other AFC North teams except for the Ravens, of course, because they're all dealing with bad you know or backup or whatever Mm -hmm. quarterbacks and the browns supporting cast is probably the best out of all of them because of that incredible defense okay well the question isn't are they better than the Bengals and the uh steelers the question you you posit is are they super bowl contenders do you think they're better than the bills and the dolphins and the chiefs if they beat if they beat the ravens they can beat anybody else can will they good question that's why they played the games Mm-hmm. But I think they've, I think they've got a shot, and I think with that defense, I don't think there's anybody that wants to play them. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's like no. the Miami offense; oh. nobody wants to play that offense. Well, um, we talked about Baker Mayfield earlier, who uh, just annihilated the Packers defense. Uh, do you think? Uh, what's your take on Joe, uh, defensive coordinator Joe Barry on uh, the Packers? Is he the fall guy yet? Is it time to move on, or is there other problems that they should deal with? I think uh, Tommy DeVito's agent needs to send Barry a gigantic Christmas present because <laughs> I'm what I'm thinking because I was watching this game and the Packers would routinely time and again. Look good on first down. Look good on second down. Third down comes up. Third and eight completion. And it wasn't Evans beating people. It was all Godwin and the secondary receivers, which makes me re- which made me realize this is something schematic that they're picking up here, hmm. where the the slot or the near seam or the the shallow cross is just being left wide open every play every time they want it in against the Joe Barry defense, which you can't do against an NFL passer unless you're getting a just a ton of pressure. Yeah. And that was not happening. And Baker Mayfield put up 34 points, which is the most that Tampa has ever scored in Lambeau. And they used to be in the same division. Yeah, so they've played a lot of games. They mean yearly. Yeah, yeah, that's my take is this happened because of the Barry defense and the the passing offense, which they totally abandoned the run. A.J. Dillon was hurt, but somehow they only ran Aaron Jones like 8, 10, 12 times again. I don't get it because he was running well at the start of the game when it was a close game. So there's a lot of calls being made by this coaching staff, offense and defense, that are just not making sense to me. 
So do you think that the offensive coordinator is quietly at fault for the defense struggling because they caused such a pass-happy game to a turnover-prone young quarterback with young weapons that aren't on the same page, stop the clock a lot, rack up the... Well, I mean, that doesn't help, but I think that if the other team is converting third and long with the same kind of play, same kind of concept over and over and over again, that's that's a defensive coordinator problem. Agreed. Needless to say, the Packers fans are not very happy. They're not out of the playoffs yet, but they're reeling, and I really feel like the last three weeks this aspect of the defense has just been exposed, Mm -hmm. and teams are going to keep doing it until until the Packers do something to change it. Midwest Football Podcast at gmail.com. That's our email. Get involved in any of these conversations. Share your opinion. We would love to hear it, but we need to get to our week 16 picks. There's only three weeks left in the regular season, believe it or not. And one more thing reminder for those of you who are new listeners, we make all of our picks straight up. No spread here. We're just trying to pick the winner. And Our one more thing segment is one thing that we want to find out more about each particular team. So we're looking at one aspect of the game and trying to get something that we can draw a conclusion out of. I want to see the first game is on Saturday at 1 p.m. The Bengals at the Steelers. We'll start with the road team by the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, My one more thing is I want to see if the Bengals' uh, leaky run defense can get well against Najee Harris or get gashed by uh, Jalen Warren. I like that thought, yeah. The Bengals are not going to be able to come back against the Steelers the way that they did against the Vikings. So I think a hot start is going to be important for this game, especially for the Bengals. The Steelers have shown that you need a two or three touchdown lead before you take the other side out of their uh, their game plan because they had the two touchdown lead last week and that didn't work so well. So for the Bengals, I want to see a hot start for the Steelers. I want to see how they react to adversity because sooner or later, they're probably going to have some adversity in this game. And that might say a lot Mm -hmm. Um, for the Steelers. I want to see. how well Mason Rudolph does uh, because he, they're under their third quarterback, which is, you know, pretty, you know, what we see a lot. Um, and you've already covered the uh, the locker room. Will they rally or continue to quit harder? And to me, I think Joe's point is more of a pivot to this game because I have a hard time. I think the Steelers are better but I have a hard time picking them based on the way I've seen so much infighting with their team this year. They just seem to be falling apart and uh, they need to win this game in order to salvage their season, in my opinion, but I'm picking the Bengals. The Bengals have looked good under Browning. um, Even if it, this might be the game that the defenses catch up with them, but the Steelers, I saw too many lack of effort plays to bet on them. I'm picking the Steelers here because I feel like, the change in quarterback for at least one game is going to give them a new lease on life. And their backs are absolutely up against the wall here. Yep. Onto the Sunday games. We're going to start with the Colts who are traveling down to Atlanta to take on the Falcons. 1 PM game. What's your one more thing? I want to see how many pick sixes they can rack up against Desmond Ritter, who seems to be throwing the ball to the defenses more often than he is to uh, his own teammates. Yeah. Uh, for me, the this is definitely, I think a lot of this is about defensive pressure, trying to force those picks, but uh, I want to definitely see how the offense comes out and attacks the Falcons because they, the Colts have been, Winning, but they've been largely one-dimensional on offense with Pittman from Minshew. And it'd be nice to see different options emerge. I'm picking the Colts here. Good news. Colts fans, I believe Jonathan Taylor is slated to return. Uh, Moss has been rough in the this last couple of weeks. And he even got injured. But we did see a Trey Sermon appearance to ice the game last week. So that was fun as a former Buckeye. He's still, he's still in the NFL. Nice. On to our next game, Lions at Vikings, our one double dip of the of the uh, week. 
My one more thing for the Lions is coverage on the back end, because if they are going to lose, it's going to be because the wide receiver core for the Vikings is beating them over the top. I want to see if Motor City Dan Campbell has his team fired up to go for the throat, because I think if the Lions want to be Super Bowl contenders, they need to take care of business this week, put the Vikings down and clinch the division. Well, I agree with that. I do think that I'm going to pick the Lions here for one thing, because all our starting offensive line should still be healthy. And for another thing, because I actually like this quarterback. I think that he to the Lions, this quarterback is less dangerous than Dobbs because he doesn't have the mobility. What's your one more thing for the Vikings? Uh, for the Vikings, I am looking at uh, Ty Chandler and seeing if he can follow up his breakout performance with another one against what is probably a significantly more difficult run defense to move against. I want to see if uh, Justin Jefferson can continue to stay healthy and uh, look look like him look like his old self that was putting up 150 yards games uh, earlier this season before he was hurt. He only put up 80 which was pretty good considering he got injured this comeback week. Bonus um, one more thing for the Lions. Jared Goff needed I want to see Jared Goff not turn the ball over. I'm going to pick the Lions too. All right. Packers try to pick up the pieces and move on to a win at Carolina or so they hope. The last place Panthers they can't give up big time passing yardage against the Panthers, can they? If I'm Joe Barry and I'm on the hot seat, I am very thankful to the football gods for putting this schedule because the Panthers can't score double digits points if it kills them. Even in beating the Falcons last week, it was like nine to seven. Um, I'm going to see, I, I want to see how love looks against the Panthers defense, which is actually underrated considering how bad their team has been. And uh, love has been up down. We, we crowned him. We, we threw him, we left him for dead early in the season. We crowned him for as the next Aaron Rodgers midway through the season. And now he's starting to fall apart. So I'm kind of curious where he can go on this roller coaster ride. That is his first uh, full season as a starter. This might be a big Al. uh, This might be a big Adam Thielen game. Because that it, he kind of runs that soft, short area that we've seen Joe Barry's defense have a hard time covering these last couple weeks. And if it is, look out. But I, I like the Packers here because, again, I'm looking to see if that same patch of defense continues to cause them trouble. I'm taking the Packers. On to our last of the early games on Sunday – the Browns who travel to the Texans that have not been as frisky for obvious reasons without their wonder child quarterback, CJ Stroud. But is he coming back? Maybe sometime soon. We'll see about this game. Concussions can be tricky. Browns at Texans. What do you think? I want to see if uh, Flacco can continue to defy odds. We didn't really talk about it due to our new format, but Flacco continued to looked terrible. He could have thrown six interceptions in the first three quarters of that game and really put it out of the way, but he did. The Bears were de- de- challenging him to take away the short stuff like we saw a couple weeks ago, and we talked about, can Flacco push the ball down the field and get the defense honest, and he basically won that game with two big throws in the fourth quarter to set up ten points to tie the game, and I'm curious, can he continue to do that against the Texans defense and make, make just enough big plays and limit his turnovers to keep the uh, winning streak rolling. Assuming that we do not see Stroud in this game, I think the Texans are really going to struggle to score against the Browns. So I am going to pick Cleveland here. If CJ Stroud does play, then it becomes a really entertaining matchup of the linebackers and uh, safeties for the Browns moving to contain on a CJ Stroud that can move a little bit in the pocket, but really wants to fire the ball downfield. Yeah. We'll also have to see if Nico Collins plays. And I'm curious though, because you can ask Justin Fields rookie year when he made his first career start in Cleveland, where he got massacred 
uh, fellow Buckeye quarterback. This could be his first start against the Cleveland defensive front, which is just as scary as it was a couple of years ago. Uh, I'm picking the Browns because whether it's Stroud or not, I think that it's a tough matchup for a rookie quarterback, despite how well he's been playing. Tough matchup for any quarterback. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. On to our final game and afternoon game at 425 Eastern, the Cardinals at the Bears on Sunday. Brian, you're first here. I want to see if the Bears can put together a full fourth quarter beat down of the Cardinals, which they very well should be because the Cardinals are not great and the Bears um, – just are just barely not putting it together. They they should have kicked a couple more field goals, maybe a couple more touchdowns in that bronze game, and they would have been out of reach to lose the game. And I want to see them convert those uh th- those drives, keep them going like they did in some of their wins, which we saw stalling out. And the the Cardinals defense is not the Browns defense. Agreed. Yeah the the Cardinals are not a good team. They've been eliminated from the playoffs. Not that the Bears have been fantastic, but they've definitely been playing much better. Their final uh, record will not indicate the quality of the team at the end of the year. So I would like to see, you know, what I'd really like to see is the Bears take this opportunity to get a run game going that's not Justin Fields. They are going at some point, they're going to need to establish somebody. And this is as good a time as any because the Cardinals are playing for jobs at best. Yeah, and the Bears' run game was brutal against the Cleveland front. Which week. you kind of expect, but That's true. it hasn't been great most of the year. They've mm-hmm. been trying to three-headed running back it, and nobody's gotten enough to get any kind of feel or flow or momentum going. Mm-hmm. But I'm still going to pick the Bears in this game. Yeah, um, the the Cardinals are a little bit more frisky with the return of Kyler Murray, but even their wins the last couple of weeks was a bar- barely beating the Falcons and beating the absolutely train wreck reeling Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, those aren't the most impressive victories, considering Atlanta also lost to the the Panthers last week. So um, I'm going to pick the uh, Bears, and I think that the Bears should contract if they lose, relegate to uh, the minor leagues. <laughs> they have to join the CFL. Exactly. Thank you again for joining us today for the Midwest Football Podcast. Please tell us how you uh, thought of our new kind of discussion magazine format. A little bit more talk radio-y, so we're, we'll try that out and see how that works. Also part of our effort to try and get it out a little bit earlier in the week, to be honest with you. We want to thank you for joining us. As always, we appreciate you every episode that you tune in with us. I want to thank Raymond for our theme song, Running Home, available where digital music is sold. I want to thank Chris Brandley for our our social media logos. Thank you very much. But we need to take it into the locker room, catch the end of Monday Night Football. And from that point on, it's all the way up till next week when the playoffs inch one more. Well, for now, though, we will see you later. I miss you already.